early on when we were trying to do everything under the sun, we'd go out and give a demo. We would get through the demo, the very rudimentary SaaS tools, and people liked it. But then they want to know how Obi made money because we were going to give those tools away for free. And what happened, Ted, is it's like there was a light bulb. And we had to see this probably 50, 60, 70 times. They completely forgot about the tools and all they wanted to do was sit there and talk about how much they hated their insurance process. That was the thing we finally said, why are we making our life harder? Support provided by Skyflow. What if you could build fast but not break privacy? What if you could ensure data privacy, governance, and compliance with just a few API calls? What if you could worry less about PCI requirements while actually improving privacy and security? How much more time would your team have to truly innovate? How much faster could you build and ship new features? How much more powerful could your app be? Skyflow is a zero-trust data privacy vault delivered as an API. Skyflow's radically simple design lets you collect, secure, and tokenize personal information like card data and payment details. And with built-in features like encrypted data analysis and sharing, anonymization, and advanced governance, your days of choosing between data security and data usability are over. Whether you're just concerned with PCI compliance or need to go further to include CCPA, GDPR, SOC 2, and beyond, Skyflow has you covered. What if you could build fast but not break privacy? With Skyflow, you can. Visit skyflowsecure.com today to learn how. Welcome to Fintech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid. Welcome to Fintech Confidential. I'm your host, Ted Hupp. This is the show where we delve into the minds of the most influential leaders in fintech world. Today, we have the pleasure of hosting Aaron Letzizer, the co-founder and COO of Obi, a venture-backed insurance and risk management technology platform that's serving real estate investors in the United States. Aaron is a successful entrepreneur and active real estate investor and a venture partner at the San Francisco-based venture capital group, Pioneer Fund. Now let's dive into the journey. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Dad. It's great to be here. We joke about this a lot that nobody really gets into financial technology because they grow up wanting to be into fintech. Can you share with us your journey into the fintech world and how it inspired you to co-found Obi? Yeah, I think it's true. Everybody, everybody kind of falls into it, right? I was, uh, I was going to go to law school. Um, that, that was, that was the journey. That was the path. Uh, my, my brother, uh, who's also my, my co-founder, he's six years older than me. So he was, he was in the professional world a little bit earlier than I was. And I started to be able to see a little bit of his journey and he was in the real estate private equity world. And that's, that's where that uh, really started to, to, to give me the bug and, and hearing the, the frustrations that he had working in an industry where he's, you know, in his, in his uh, mid to, to late twenties and ultimately is in a, a more of a gray old hair industry. Um, just getting the, the frustrations of the day to day that he had. And that's, that's really where, where our journey began. And it's really where, where Obi came from. So what were some of the challenges that you guys faced? Well, you, I should say, faced early in your fintech journey. Spreadsheets, right? <laughs> I mean, even I, I remember back, we, uh, we, we did one of our first pitches. I mean, this is, uh, Obi was on a napkin, right? We, we were out trying to raise, uh, trying to raise money, very naive, uh, seeing everybody's announcements inside of TechCrunch or, or Crunchbase, wherever it might be. We physically brought a fax machine into the pitch with us. We, we stopped at a, uh, we stopped at an office fax on our way because we're like, this is the only way that you're going to be able to fully convey 
how this industry still operates. Um, you have all these 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 different uh, verticals and these different markets that are moving forward from a technology perspective. But you know, fintech and especially insuretech um, just was not moving forward in a way that. Uh, that we felt was was appropriate given you know given where the market was moving towards. Now, how did some of your previous experiences in your entrepreneurial journey? Because this isn't the first entrepreneurial thing you've done. How did they contribute to what you're doing currently at Obi? What I get a high out of is is figuring out and understanding the the problem. Every single day at Obi, there's something brand new that I'm that I'm working on that I have to figure out, and that's it's a benefit and a curse. Um, you don't, you don't come into these days knowing how to do that. And that's really where, where my entire professional career has been all the way back to when I was in high school. I don't know if you or any of your listeners have ever seen there's these, uh, people's house addresses that are actually on their curb. It's a oh, white yeah. background with black lettering it makes it easy for, you know, somebody actually to find the house. And that was me at 14 years old out there going door to door, like painting that on people's, uh, sidewalks. And so being able to find those interesting opportunities and, uh, going through the motions and figuring out the process of how you do that. I mean, even then, what, what's the type of paint that you need on the, on the, you know, on the street? I don't know. 14 year old me didn't know either. Figure it out. Um, and so that's, that's been really the, the, the foundation of the journey. Um, having some of these different businesses that, that we worked on moving all the way into something that's a little bit more exciting than painting addresses on a curb of, you know, building a real estate portfolio, building these other businesses and now culminating in, in what has grown into, into OB today. I find it funny that you started by painting numbers on the curb in front of houses. Now you're investing in houses. And then you start to think about solving all of these problems that, that continually come up. One of the big problems that a lot of startups have is really diving into determining and deciding what the vision and mission of the company is. Can you share with us the origin story of Obi and how you came up with the vision and mission. So Ryan and I were, uh, we were actually standing uh, at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's probably about, uh, uh, probably about seven or eight years ago at this point, freezing, freezing our ass off, right? Standing outside, it's the middle of November. And, you know, just talking about the, the functions of his day to day and where the inefficiencies were at and also recognizing that the, the people that were starting to come up as, as, you know, associates or, or newer, younger employees in the space, it's a generation that's grown up with an iPhone and has an expectation of technology. They weren't going to just be satisfied with the fact that you're, you're, you know, you're using a, a an HP 12C calculator and a legal pad to be doing calculations. Your fintech listeners kind of at their early journeys at, you know, at a bank or, or some of the other financial institutions, you'll understand that. And that's mind-boggling that the the best technology technological innovation that that has happened is is Excel, and it has it. You know, we sat there and we said, what what were the what were the frustrating pieces? And so we went through a couple of different uh, a couple of different pain points. And you know, we I, I would say that the origin of Ovi is that we we ended up going pretty broad. We 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 did the classic early founder thing, which was. We listened to our, our customers, but we listened too much. We tried to build every single thing because we figured the more, the more problems we solved, the, you know, the more people would sign up for the software. And so that, that's really where it started. And then trying to, to, to go through the, the hard fought journey of figuring out of that the solution is really doing one thing and doing it really well and then being able to build from there. In your own words, how would you describe the mission and vision of Obi? 
So Obi's an insurance technology company, and we're trying to make it extremely easy for real estate investors to be able to get insurance, which historically they have always felt and have always described it to us as a black hole. The mission for Obi is to really put those real estate investors, those owners, and there's 17 million of them in the United States. They're not, you know, contrary to what the, the front page of the New York Times might tell you that Wall Street owns your home. It's these, these small kind of mom and pop SMB owners and, you know, they're managing that P&L. And so for us, our mission is about putting them in the driver's seat and making them the master of their own destiny. So many things in fintech are, are, and, and as an extension inside of the insurance world, they're extremely fragmented. And because of that, it, it makes you feel like the end consumer. You're completely out of control yeah. on something that's usually hitting your pocketbook or hitting your P&L. And so driving that transparency and driving that, that controls for our customers is the thing that we're most, uh, uh, driven towards on a day to day basis. You described like all of these great pain points around the mission that you're trying to solve for. And you also have talked about how you started off really, really broad and you had to get more and more focused as you went along in order to continue to move forward. Can you describe how the OB mission has evolved since you first got started with it? If you had asked me probably five years ago what OB's mission was, I would have told you it was to solve every problem that a real estate investor had, <laughs> right? True, true, like tech founder naivety uh, that, that sees a problem and sees an opportunity and says, you know what, we're going to build everything. And that's what the first vo- version of OB became, right? Its biggest frustration and the thing that we we talked about when we sat down to figure out what we wanted to do is that managing your portfolio of assets is very challenging. There's all these different aspects of it that, that touch your property. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to attack every one of them because all of them were broken. And so I would say that that's what our mission was. And we started to get some really good advice um, as we went into these, these different demos and talking to, I think, more seasoned entrepreneurs who had those scars uh, and could beat their head against the wall doing the exact same thing that we did, which was do one thing and do it well. That is the mantra that, 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 that we have continued to drive home in our company for the last, uh, probably four years. It took us probably a really good year to, to get that beat into our head. Um, and a lot of code and a lot of wasted time and effort, but you learn from it. And that's, that's what I think is, is incredible. And so our, our mission uh, and our goals from, from a company perspective have really succinctly driven into that that phrase of doing one thing and doing it well because if you can then you have engaged customers you have engaged clients and you can then start to add on those additional pieces once you're confident that you're doing it well then you want to figure out okay what can i do to almost put this on autopilot right we figured it out we have product market fit how do we do the next thing right what is that second thing that we can do and do it really well and that's, I think, the, the true like secret of success inside of building a, a, a fintech company or really any type of technology company. Um, and that is what's driven our mission of the last several years. So I feel and share your pain of spreadsheets. I don't, I don't know how people do it. I'm always looking for ways to get out of the spreadsheets and, and leverage technology to, to do the heavy lifting for me. What role are you seeing technology play in achieving your mission of enabling these real estate investors? The place and the efficiency that, that OB comes into is the ability to remove the human element of where the insurance process for a real estate investor would have come into play. 
And it's no fault of anybody's really in the process, but the process hasn't changed in a hundred years. It hasn't changed since, <laughs> you know, the, the, the great fire in London where Lloyd's of London was, was, you know, became the result. Right. You have a real estate investor. They have a property that they're purchasing. They're going to go to their local agent or a couple of local agents. That local agent's going to ask them a bunch of information that's effectively filling out that spreadsheet and filling out maybe a PDF for a, a document that they're going to have to sign. And then those agents then send it out to several different carriers. Yeah. Well, at those carriers, you physically have an underwriter that's sitting there and taking those different variables now yet again. So at this point, you're on the third person who's, who's interacting with those variables and plugging them into their own spreadsheet to generate a rate. Hopefully they right? keep it in right, prop- right? Yeah, no, exactly. Right. And, and that's a point we make to a lot of people is that computers can't, can't necessarily get that wrong. What happens is, is that once you go back through that entire chain, the agent gives the quote back over to the, the, the client. The client says, well, what if I want a $2,500 deductible? What if I want to change these limits? You've got to go back through that entire process just to get that back. Usually these folks are, they're under the gun. They've got to get to a closing. The insurance is required. Right. And so from that perspective, it, it really does make you feel like the one of the largest line item expenses that you have is the one that you have the least amount of control and insight into. And so the question that we had and the thing that we honed in on is, you know, why do you need a person just to be me manually entering that information into a different underwriting model? When we thought about it, computers had gotten to a point, technology's gotten to a point where we can do that automatically. And so not only to your point, Ted, do we eliminate the, the possibility of somebody uh, uh, misseeing something, but you also eliminate the human bias to it as well, mm. right? The inherent piece about an insurance company or an underwriter, it's the same thing for a real estate investor that's looking at a property. Maybe you're having, maybe you're having a great day and the day before you just hit your promote, maybe there's a waterfall there, you make your money, <laughs> but maybe you're having a bad day too. And you're like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to give a quote to this one. We're just going to decline. And so there's so many interesting things that you can do from an insurance company perspective from a profitability standpoint, from an underwriting point, but for the client, you take probably one of their largest headaches of actually getting to the closing table and having a successful close. And you can turn it into a two to three minute experience where they get to the checkout page and they can change whatever they want. If they want a $500 deductible, if they want a $25,000 deductible, that's finally their choice. They're making that decision. And so depending on how much they're actually paying out in that premium or in the event that they have a claim, that's a decision that they made. And they feel good about that finally. And that's what, that's what I really love being able to give to people is that we can go from one of the like largest pain points that they have to something that, that, you know, is a fair breeze to, to get through at this point. Wow. Like I'm sitting here thinking about how streamlined the, that you've made the insurance process, especially for real estate investors. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I see you doing with the mobile app. I saw the images of that. It was it was really clean, really simply. Done. I got to give props. I'm I'm a big branding nerd, so um, the designers that 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 did all of it, I think they did a fantastic job of it. But I'm starting to think, you know, we're helping these investors. We're we're simplifying it. They're giving them the control to take. You know, giving them the tools to take control of their destiny. How else? is OB driving its mission in the insurance and risk management space? We do a lot in terms of, of making it very easy for somebody to get a quote. But in today's world and where technology is going, I think that's table stakes. Uh, even, even some of the large carriers have started to, to come around to that, not necessarily in this vertical, 
but you can go online and get an instant auto insurance quote or a home insurance quote at this point. What's starting to, to create a differentiation for us is how do we continue to take that a step further? How do we take, you know, new and, and novel technology and then start continuing to push out our, our mission? How do we expand that? Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest ways is that we don't necessarily just, you know, you can go to our website and you get a, you can get a quote, right? But again, you can do that anywhere. And so the, one of the biggest differentiators for OB is that we now proactively go out and figure out, all right, where are our customers at? What are the platforms that they're using? We're not the only one that's, that's in the fintech world. It's not just insurance that's, that's driving, uh, technology adoption, these efficiencies, get people out of the spreadsheets that you and I don't like. <laughs> and so where can we meet our customers at? And how can we make that experience even easier for them? And then what can we do from there? What can you do with the data? You know, there are days when, when I tell people that OB is really just a data company that sells insurance, right? And so for us, one of our big differentiators is that we actually embed ourselves inside of the player where folks are actually transacting. And I think, it, you know, embedded fintech has become a very big and, and, and popular uh, trend over the last several years. And for good reason, these are sometimes ancillary uh, processes or products that you have to buy or something that, that just because of your day to day, you, you know, you, you need to grab. And folks are using technology to make it easier for you to actually interact with that within the platforms that you are enjoying using and, and use on a day-to-day basis. And for Obi, especially if you're inside of your, you know, your lenders portal as you're moving through the closing process, if you're uh, buying a property on a marketplace online, if you're using a digital property management solution, if you're using a digital fund management solution, that's where OB shows up. And so we can take what is normally, you know, again, a, 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 you know, a two, three, five minute experience and we continue to drive that, that, that time down and that experience with insurance. Nobody likes buying insurance. I don't, I don't like buying my, my home and auto insurance. I cringe every time I get the email with, with your policy has been renewed. I'm like, Oh. You know, and it's, and, and even if you shop it, Ted, you're going to have to go out and re-enter all of that information again into somebody else's system. But your lender already has all the property information. Your property manager already has all that information. And so if I can make it really easy for Obi to show up in those experiences where you're already transacting or managing business, I make it that much easier for you as the end consumer. And now for Obi, from a company standpoint, it's great because we have a stupidly low customer acquisition cost. We allow our perfect clients and the, the perfect platforms that they use on a day-to-day basis, they find our customers for us. I just have to make sure that we're able to pull the right levers to drive that engagement within those platforms. And on the back end, what's really, really interesting, I think, going forward and you know, broadly within the fintech market, this is happening, but that data is, is next to null, right? There is no insurance company on earth that's getting the level of, of, of property analytics and property engagement and metrics on these assets that, that OB's getting. I know exactly what your on-time rent performance looks like. I know what kind of that, the, the, the overall, uh, income and P&L looks like on these properties. We're embedded inside of the, the property management software platforms where you're notifying the, the landlord of a maintenance request, right? And so long term, what I want to be able to do is say, you know, Ted, I don't want to just, uh, I don't want to just rate you based on the, the exact make and model of your car. I want to actually, you know, rate you based on your, your driving performance. Do you drive on average about 120 on the highway or, you know, are you generally like following the speed limit? Right. And the same is true. This is true now across like the mortgage industry and banking. And it's starting to come with insurance. And I'm, I'm really excited about what Obi's at the forefront of 
because I can start to rate what a, what what we would consider really good risk for a good landlord. I should reward you for that. You should be paying less in insurance because I can demonstrate that you take really good care of this property. Mm. It's not just a matter of when you walk into your local, you know, state farm office and they're limited by asking you, Hey, what's the year built and the square footage and the number of units? What I also want to know when we put our real estate investor hat on is, you know, how are you cash flowing on that? Which lender did you use? We have a lender that, that really only works with folks with a 720 or better credit score. They do a 70 30 loan to value. They're usually cash flowing on these assets and across two to three other properties, right? And so for that, we almost underwrite our partners as an extension of the risk. So long term, I think that's that's where fintech broadly is going, is how can you start driving a lot of these data points in a way that's actually going to benefit that end consumer? What I'm really curious about is, you know, taking all this data and and knowing about it, how are you giving the quotes and the instant rate options? Can you share more with me about that That overall, not diving into the secret sauce, but more of an understanding of, of how you determine those things for them? And you've already touched on a couple of them already. It's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's engineering magic. Uh, I, I am not the, uh, I, I am not the engineer on the team. They do incredible things. Um, and I can, I can basically go into HTML and turn something bold and not bold. There we uh, go. That, that's the extent of my, <laughs> that's the extent of my coding chops. Uh, but effectively we're, we're taking the base of what's, what's been, nobody's done a bad job over the last hundred years of, of creating these rate tables. The, the year that the property was built is super important. The last time you, you put on a new roof is very important, but what are the unjust? other interesting variables, right? Mm-hmm. What's the average market rent in your census tract versus what you're charging? What does that tell me about the asset, right? There's a reason sometimes that people can't command market rent. I can't see your house, but there's a reason that, that nobody's renting it at, you know, at whatever the average is and you're 10 to 15, 20% below market. What does that say about the quality of the asset? Yeah. And then the opposite's also true, right? What if you're charging 15, 20, 25% above market? There's something about a really nice quality of that property that tells me something about that. And that's information that just inherently the, the, the broader market's never been able to, to grab because that's too many questions, right? Nobody wants to sit there and get asked a hundred questions from their insurance agent. It's just, it's not going to happen. And so if you can figure out ways of triangulating a lot of this data, mm-hmm. you build a, a pretty impressive, uh, data set, uh, that's, that's really surrounded by, by how do you manage risk? Um, across this, this market, we're seeing that play out broadly across, you know, across most of the, the financial technology market. You mentioned, uh, earlier that OB is a data company that happens to offer insurance, which ama- automatically makes me think of all of the regulation that goes around personal identifiable information, um, whether it be about finances, about any of the information um, around titles and and all that fun stuff. How are you ensuring transparency of your services, but at the same time protecting the investors from misuse of the information? The end investor doesn't actually get to see a lot of that. So all this stuff really happens on the back end. And candidly, I don't think they want to, right? <laughs> Uh, people in the insurance space, they, they want to see what the price is. They want to kind of mess with things and feel like they were the ones in control. But on the regulatory front, insurance is, is highly regulated, much like the mortgage or, or the banking industry. We've been very careful to make sure of, of how we're actually utilizing that data, how we're underwriting this risk. 
Um, and we don't actually need a, a lot of it. We don't need to store a lot of that because again, if you embed within the partner, it's really on that, that, that loan originator, right? Who's under a much stricter set of uh, regulatory guidelines than we are. And so we can take kind of those, those, those uh, pieces temporarily to create that rate. Right. And so from that perspective, we're, we're grabbing what we need, but the, the PII side, fortunately, we can always leave it the park. And so that's the nice thing for us is that we can, we can utilize and anonymize a lot of that data, um, to be able to build the overall insurance underwriting models that we have. That is good to hear. Um, that is one of the biggest fears of a lot of people today is how their data is getting used. And even so much that the state of California has already created a data protection law. If you were to say, the one, two, maybe three key problems that OB is focused on solving in the insurance industry. Speed, transparency, and risk management. Those, those are the three things that we're, uh, that we're working on. Speed, we've, we've covered, right? I tell people, I want to make it as easy as you sitting on your couch on a Saturday morning in your underwear and, and buying insurance without having to talk to anybody. That's easy for a real estate investor. You got a closing that's coming up 30 days or maybe it's in two hours. Jump on OB's website and you can get that done. Right. The transparency piece we've also talked about a little bit. It's making sure that you feel empowered to make the decision for yourself. Right. Insurance is about risk transfer. That's, that's the inherent piece to it. And it's, I, I truly believe, in, and Ryan and I talk about this a lot. It is what has allowed the American economy and really the global economy to grow. You're not going to build a really big building or really big industry if you don't know that you have insurance to fall back on in the event that something might happen. But you also want to feel like you're in control of making that decision. You want to take a lot of risk, or do you want to take a little bit of risk? Mm -hmm. And both sides are going to have implications to that. And so that's where that transparency comes in. I think the third piece is a really interesting extension now onto the data piece we were just talking about, risk management. Without a lot of that data, without getting an understanding of, of the characteristics of the properties all the way through what those claims look like, it's difficult for your agent, your typical agent working with a typical carrier, to be able to advise your client in a way that's going to be meaningful. And so we offer our products to, to independent agents and they're, they're able to go out there. They're able to, to sell that on our behalf, but we also like equipping them with the information that's going to make them successful. So that way with the clients that they're working with, they can provide more than just, Hey, here's the quote. And please don't ask me to change anything on it. Cause then I got to go back to the underwriter and it's going to take another five to seven days. So it's about understanding and saying, Hey, most people don't think about it, but over the last three years, work from home has become a big trend, mm -hmm. which means that when people used to really only be cooking on their stove, maybe a couple of times a week because they went out to a happy hour or they grabbed something on the way home. Now people are sometimes making breakfast, lunch, and dinner on their stove. And so the incident rates of actually kitchen fires have skyrocketed over the last three years. People have to learn how to cook again. Exactly. Right. They got to, they got to learn how their stove works. Right. Um, and that's, and that's the truth for a lot of people are steps that people can take. There are really interesting low-cost devices. There's there's these thing called fire stops, actually. They're like hockey pucks and they're magnetic and they're really thin and they go like right above your stove underneath the vent and they stick there. But in the event that there's a fire and it gets too hot, it actually triggers a powder that just drops down and immediately extinguishes that fire. Maybe you've got to replace the stove, but at least you're not replacing the entire house. Yeah. And that, these are like $10 hockey pucks and they last for five years. And so for a real estate investor, you're like, all right, again, we're, we're talking about risk transfer. You know, it's, it's tough times right now. Maybe rents are down. Maybe the market's challenging. Inflation's going up. Everybody's having a tough time and I can't raise rents on people. So maybe I can raise my deductible. 
right? So maybe I have to get comfortable with that because I need a lower price on my P&L. Mm-hmm. So what are the things that that agent can then do to help support their end consumer to make those choices and to feel better and more comfortable about that? And so we'd like to really equip our our partners and our agents with the data that they need to go out there and then say, not only am I going to give you this price and hopefully you buy it so I can make a commission and make a living, but here's the other value-add services that I can provide. And here's the real raw data to be able to support that. And so it builds a really great relationship for the client and that agent and then that agent and OB as well, or that partner and OB as well. Because before you never got anything like that. It was just, it was too difficult to put all the pieces together. So we've talked a lot about the importance of insurance for real estate investors. Can you expand on the importance of a good insurance broker and a real estate investor's team and or portfolio? Especially when you're starting to talk about the hockey puck type stuff, I would think that that would be instrumental to a lot of these real estate investment teams. Chargebacks drain revenue. It may threaten your ability to process payments, but they don't need to be a cost of doing business. You can resolve up to 40% of chargebacks before they're ever filed. Here's how it works. When one of your customers contacts a participating bank to dispute a charge, you'll be notified. At that point, you can avoid the resulting chargeback. It's fast, easy, and effective. You can be set up in preventing up to 40% of chargebacks in just 48 hours. You want to find somebody that knows and understands space. It really doesn't matter if it's insurance or or any type of market. It's the same if you're going to kind of a, a home loan originator versus somebody that might be doing debt on on a large industrial property, right? Find the person that knows and understands the space. Really, that unlocks a level of institutional knowledge and market access that, that people don't normally have. You can go to a generalist and that's fine. And in the insurance space, there are a lot of folks that really, you know, build a very, very, very good living on, on that, that home and auto products, right? They want to get your home and your auto and help you with your life insurance and your umbrella and the boat and the RV that you bought last summer. And some of those folks do do some rental properties. And we have a lot of those agents as well. But I think where the market's going now is people like specialization. They have the ability now with, with Google or with any other access. I mean, heck, you can go into chat GPT and ask it. You want to know who's the person that I should be going to. Mm-hmm. And so creating that differentiation and, and finding that person that specializes in the thing that you're looking for yeah. will pay off dividends long term. You can find the general handyman or you can find the guy that just does HVACs all day, every day. Right. And that's kind of the, that's, that's the, that's the level of specialization that people have access to now. And where we really see a lot of value for our clients as well. It's funny you talk about specialization being super important. We had moles in our backyard and mm-hmm. we could have called the pest control company that sprays for, I'm in Phoenix, so sprays for the scorpions and the spiders and all the creepy crawlies and had them come out and and try and take care of the issue. Instead, we got a guy that all he does, all he does is moles. Is moles. That's it. We got the mole guy. And, and we got the mole guy. And within like a matter of like one week, not only did we resolve the issue, the way he resolved it is so different than the way a traditional pest control company was. 
his idea was not to kill or capture, poison, destroy the animal, but based on its behavior and its behavior patterns to make it not want to be in our yard, which was so cool. So after a week, we stopped seeing the little mounds pop up because he had changed its behavior and now it's going bothering somebody else. But still, it was really cool to see the difference between taking the route of just eliminating the the animal itself versus changing its behavior. And I see a lot of the same similarities in the way that you were discussing going to a generalist versus a specialist within the insurance space. It's it's so true. And your general pest control company doesn't have the the time to understand the the patterns of a scorpion, right? Or the patterns of the mole or the patterns of 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 another rope. Right. They're going to do what they, they do. And, and this, this, you know, this, this, this large, uh, toxic pellet, right. That they put out. So yeah, it's just going to kill everything that eats it. So <laughs> hopefully it works. Right. Um, but it's, it's so true. Right. It, it creates, uh, it creates a level of, of understanding and a level of institutional knowledge that you don't get from a generalist. And sometimes a generalist works fine in, in any industry, but. Look at how this is paid off for you, even in the, in the mole guy, right? Like, I love this story, Ted, because like it is, it is such an indication of, of, of like you get what you pay for. That mole is gone, right? And I don't know if you would have had the same success with the other folks. You would have killed the mole, right? But probably other moles might come back, right? Um, and you're not going to know necessarily how to do it and you probably pay the same amount for it. Yeah. Right. And so like that paid off for you and like that pays dividends. And I think you see that a, a, across the board. And it's, it's, it's even true, even, even inside of, uh, you know, the, any type of company, right. That you're doing, you, you want to, you want to go deep onto a singular topic, right. You want to become an expert in the thing that you're doing because that's what people are willing to pay for. And so if you can demonstrate that value add and that guy literally, he just gets to say, listen, all I do every day is moles. I understand moles, right? Like I eat, sleep and breathe. The, the behavioral patterns of moles, making it very easy for that person to come in and create that immediate ROI for you as the end customer. Yeah. Right. And like, that's such a, an important lesson for, for anybody. And it's something that's, that, again, we, we learned early, early on, eventually. Um, we beat our heads <laughs> against the wall trying to be the generalist for everything. We heard all the problems. Oh, you got a scorpion problem. You got a mole problem. You got a squirrel problem. Let's deal with all the problems. Yeah. Um, and again, you, you, you know, you, you went, um, you know, a mile wide and then steep and it didn't have the type of ROI that anybody was looking for because we couldn't solve the problem to the extent that it made it necessary for them to actually pay us for it. Well, you, and that's like such a, such a, like such a valuable lesson um, to anybody that's, that's looking to build a business. You teed yourself up fantastic for my next, next question, because We've talked about the specialist and we've talked about the ideal customer, me being the ideal customer for the mole guy. Who would you say is the ideal customer or client for Obi? Today, it would be a, a small to medium sized residential real estate investor. Eventually, Obi is going to continue to expand, but we're doing really well right now in that small residential real estate investor. So somebody that maybe they had their condo unit, they didn't want to sell it, they moved out. They turn it into a rental or somebody that's got a quadplex, even folks that have, you know, 50 to 100 units. And heck, I mean, Obi also has clients with thousands of units. But again, that's not representative of, of what your average real estate investor looks like. So that's our that's our ideal client. 
is eventually we're going to get into these other asset classes because the exact same idea applies. And there's millions of additional landlords and additional potential clients out there. Right now, we are crushing it in this small residential real estate investor category. And we're going to continue to grow that until I'm hitting a, a glass ceiling or we can at least see that ceiling ahead of us. And then we can start expanding to do that second thing really well. Can you help us understand what makes Obi a good fit for those small to mid-sized real estate investors? The average real estate investor today has really come into things in in two ways. One, you're maybe under the age of, of 50, you've grown up with an iPhone, you have an, an expectation of technology. Obi, Obi solves that all day, every day. There's no spreadsheets you have to fill out. There's no PDF that you got to print out and, and sign in a freaking black ink signature for some carriers these days. You certainly aren't faxing anything. And so that that's really perfect. The second group of folks that we also start seeing a lot of now is you have this massive wealth transfer that's occurring. Mom and dad and the baby boomer generation, they've slowly accumulated a couple of rentals, but you know what? They don't want to manage those anymore. And so that's become the kid's problem. Um, and those kids are saying, wow, mom and dad, You've been managing this on a spreadsheet for years. I don't even think you have paid rent last April, right? Because you've been collecting a check in the mail. So those folks, again, are out there looking for these types of solutions that match the type of expectation they're looking for. Those are Obi's perfect clients. Would you mind expanding on the happenstance real estate investor that uh, got it from from mom and dad because they're they're done managing it? How, how do you specifically cater to them? A couple of ways. The, the first is is education. We've talked a lot about the speed and the transparency and the risk management, but I think the biggest thing that happens in, in this market and happens a lot of markets when folks are, are put in a position to try and find a new financial product is it feels overwhelming. They don't know if they're buying the right thing. Most of these folks that accidental landlord, they're going to throw a homeowner's policy on it, right? They're going to go to their local agent. And they're not going to provide the agent with anything other than, Hey, I own this house now. Can you give me a policy? And that's not the agent's fault. They're, they're doing exactly mm-hmm. what the client asked. But you want to make sure and say, hey, are you living in that property? Because if you are, like, Obi is not the right place. We just cater to the real estate investors. But you want to make sure that you have the right policy. Because again, that education is going to be so powerful. You want to make sure that you have the right loan product or have the right banking products or have the, the correct insurance or title or life insurance, whatever that might be for you. Because when it actually comes time to use it or you come time to, to cash that check, what you don't want to have happen is, hey, you accidentally just you know, kept the, the, the homeowner's policy that your parents have had on it for a very long time. And unfortunately, when you had a claim, the adjuster comes out and they say, Hey, where's the owner? And the tenant answers the door and they're going to be like, well, this, this, this isn't owner occupied. I'm not going to cover this claim. We underwrite that differently, right? There's a much different risk of not having the owner who cares about the property in there. And so these are the unfortunate things that if you become that happenstance landlord, which, which happens to, you know, a million to two million people a year. You want to make sure that you have the right coverage. And so that's a piece where OB really comes into play there. We do try and take an education first approach to it because we also have the time and we utilize technology to make it really easy then for if you want to expand on that, if you want to read the blog post, if you want to click the plus button after getting a one sentence answer on some, some educational content, you can then spend the time to understand that because it's only going to take you two to three minutes to get a quote. And so you want to make sure that you have the right thing in the right type of circumstance or situation that you have. As we talk about the the happenstance landlord, what are the current trends in the market that OB is responding to? I'm psyched for for what uh, large language models and, and GPT can do uh, inside of every industry, but especially insurance. 
right? Even we just talked about a claim. You normally have somebody sitting there with, here's kind of what happened on the property. And then here's the 200 page policy document, right? Somebody's got to flip through it to be like, well, does it actually match here? Does it match there? There are people now, and we've even started to to, uh, experiment with this. You're not going to replace that adjuster just yet or that claims examiner, but you can make it really easy for something to read what happened and then take you to the exact applicable section inside of that document. And that doesn't seem like a lot, but unfortunately, Obi doesn't have a lot of claims yet, knock on wood. But if you're a really large insurance carrier, right, and you're going through hundreds of claims a day, you're spending a lot of time. And if you can shave off five to 10 minutes per each one of those, what's the type of ROI that you're looking for? Things like that are going to be interesting. I think feeding our, our data set, our data model, which probably has over a billion individual data points on all the, the rental properties in the U.S., and start figuring out what do those trends look like and what are those things that we can do long-term to be able to do that. I don't think it's going to replace anything just yet, but it's a really interesting trend that's going on right now. I'm going to be curious out of all the, the fad trends, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an Obi, Obi's not investing in Bed Bath & Beyond or GameStop, oh. um, or, you know, we're, we're not generating the new, uh, the new Obi NFT. Uh, but I think this one has some at least interesting legs that people are going to spend a lot of time on. And so I'm, I'm really curious to see where it, where it ends up and where it goes from here. No, I will agree that language models and, and leveraging the machine learning behind all of that. I still kind of think it's funny. They call it AI. It, it's still machine learning, uh, and behavioral analytics. And I'm seeing that happen in a lot of different spaces where. It's not trying to replace an individual. What it's trying to do is make an individual more efficient or maybe find something that they have a bias towards or against and really speeds up the process of saying, okay, I need to dive deeper here because it's outside of our expectations or I need to do X, Y, and Z because this is a unique outlier and and really allows the teams, whether it be in insurance, whether it be in finance, be in fraud, they're able to look at the items that demand their attention versus looking at everything and trying to figure out what demands their attention. And I think that's, that's going to be really, really good. And it's interesting that you brought up the, the idea of the policy and the claim with one of my companies. What we do is we merge banks and fintechs together. So we find the best bank for the best fintech and the best fintech for the bank based upon each other's policies and procedures and protocols. And so we find the best fit without having to go through and filling out a 200-page application or pre-application or a discovery document, whatever you want to call it, right? And so we're able to really distill that down and deliver that much quicker than sending your policies and procedures and protocols to the financial institution say, hey, is this okay? And vice versa, sending it to the fintech and having them try and decipher banking talk. So I totally get that large language model is going to be huge, but it's only going to be as good as the person writing the prompts. And I think that's the biggest piece that that I've learned. uh, And I've gotten really, really good at writing the the prompts, but it's a skill that has to be learned. And a lot of that skill that has to be learned isn't something that can go, here are your five steps. It really has to come down to understanding how to use your words better. I want to move into another question that you answered a little bit in the beginning, but I want to dive deeper into this. How are you 
innovating in the antiquated insurance industry? The biggest way is starting to use some of that novel data and then putting them in a position to force the industry to, to, to evolve and to move forward. These are massive, massive industries. There are, there are insurance, legacy insurance carriers that have a hundred billion in cash just sitting on, on their balance sheet. And so there's such an opportunity to start driving this forward. Even in our small residential real estate investor segment, they spend $65 billion a year in insurance premium, right? OB itself is barely scratching the surface <laughs> here. And so I think that the, the innovative opportunity is, is how do you collectively start utilizing some of these novel distribution methods and these novel data points in order to move the industry forward? We're not going to die, right? Like, you know, it's, 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 that would be like a, a FinTech saying, Hey, we're going to put JP Morgan on business. You're not. Right. Yeah. But there's really interesting ways long term of driving value for OB and our end customer in pushing and forcing some of these folks and these, these legacy industries and also supporting them to be able to do it in moving the industry forward. Right. And I think that the nice thing about insurance is as much as people see the, the Gecko Geico and, uh, Flow and the Mayhem guy and the khaki pants guy from State Farm. All these insurance carriers ultimately work together. And that's the, the thing that, that happens, I think, in the background that a lot of people don't see is even though you have an insurance company, they all have reinsurance, which is like insurance on themselves, mm-hmm. right? The, the insurance company has their own insurance from maybe Munich Re or Swiss Re or some of these really large companies. And so collectively, insurance works when everybody participates together and when the industry actually moves forward. And so it's a really interesting model in that you want to make sure that everybody, no matter the, the line of business in the insurance world, is appropriately covered. And that means continuing to push each one of the existing carriers forward. The one thing, even though everybody hates insurance, I hate insurance. But I, you know, I, I look out at the, the, the different houses on my street and it's there and insurance exists because if one of those burns down to the ground, it is effectively all of your neighbors and their premium that's helping to rebuild that for you. And so making sure that the industry itself is continuing to, 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 uh, level itself up is the thing that's going to, to push everybody forward. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about the neighbors premiums, like helping rebuild. That is a completely different perspective than, than I've ever really had. And it, it makes me feel a little bit better about the premiums that I pay <laughs> a little bit better. I'm not going to say a lot, just a little bit. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's people don't like insurance because like claims are difficult and it, it feels opaque. Right. And so you pay in all these claims and then are you paying all this money and then you've got a claim and they deny it. Right. So it comes back to that. If I can push the industry to get more transparent and a little bit more, uh, control is, is given to the end consumer, then like everybody really does win. Right. And OB also wins as a result. There's plenty of market for me to continue to, to, to gobble up. But it really is about pushing and forcing the industry into modernizing. Recently, OB got a Series B round of funding. And today's market with VCs and that whole environment has been challenging, to say the least, for for a lot of fintechs and insurtechs out in the marketplace. What impact did that have on the way that you approached the most recent round of funding yeah it, it's a it's a it's a difficult market uh to be sure i think we've we've gotten very lucky in that despite the macro environment it's almost been a bit of a benefit 
because of the fact that as mortgage interest rates have, have continued to continue to increase, it's making it a little bit more difficult for those first time home buyers to actually buy a house, which is unfortunate. And I empathize with that. And it's, it's also forcing an increase in the overall rental market as well. And so you also have some people that might want to get out of their home. Maybe they have another property or a second home and they're not going to sell that property because nobody's buying necessarily right now because they can't afford it. And so they're turning it into a rental. And there's plenty of renters that are out there. So for us, our business has continued to grow quite well. And so between having really good, powerful metrics and, and the second pieces, which had very, very good, high quality and supportive, uh, investors and partners for us. From that perspective, it made an otherwise, you know, challenging, uh, uh fundraise um, a little bit easier. And so for us, you know, fortunately we're, we're in a market again. Insurance isn't going anywhere. It's really about how do you make the numbers work and what does that long-term vision look like? And what does the profile look like to get you to a point where it makes, makes sense to, to value the company at, at X, Y, or Z. But it's, it's a tough market that exists out there. But I do believe that the companies with really good fundamentals, um, are still being funded. I think it's also going to be a tumultuous, probably six to 18 months where you're going to have companies that I think we're starting to find product market fit. But depending on the, the overall, I would say health of the fund that they, they originally took money from, if there's enough dry powder there for some follow on, maybe it's a fund that's not big enough that actually could lead that next round or help even to bridge them given everything that's going on in the market. And so there are, unfortunately, I think a lot of really good products that are finding product market fit that are going to have to eventually go inside of some type of acquisition with some of these larger companies. For others, you know, if, if the companies are doing well, there is still dry powder that's been sitting on the sidelines for a while. So there are opportunities for people to be able to do that and build their network and, and run a really good successful fundraising process. Well, I'm going to ask you to take off your glasses and put on the glasses that allow you to see way into the future. Yep. How do you see the insurance market evolving? Say three to five years. Man, I guess let's do this. Let's say five to 10 years. All right. There you go. Let's go five to 10. Let's go long. Let's go like, yeah, people, long horizon. Yeah. Pe- people always say the financial markets are like 10 to 15 years behind like technology advancement. Insurance, they say is like 20 to 30. <laughs> but in five years, what I'm, what I'm hoping, right? What I'm, what I'm envisioning is a market that's a little bit more consumer accessible, right? You're still going to have to go through the agency you work with. The existing carriers are still going to be there, but. How can you involve the consumer a little bit more in that process? How can you provide that transparency? And hopefully, Obi is doing our part to push the industry in a, in a position that forces them in to be able to do that. So there are a lot of entrepreneurs that that watch and listen to the show. And I would love to get from you with your entrepreneurial experience, one piece of advice that you would give someone trying to decide how to go narrow when they have the broad vision, how do they go narrow? How do they focus on it? And I'm going to ask a really, really super tough question to do it in two sentences or less. First, talk to your customers. That's my first sentence. Second, find the common thread. Those are the two things. Talk to your customers and find the common thread. You're going to hear 10 things out of 10 different people, but hopefully one or two of those is the same. Right? Oh, now that you've been able to distill it down to those two sentences, how has that piece of advice influenced your decisions at Obi? 
I think it's influenced everything that we have we have done. Um, Obi found product market fit and found success and found that kind of rocket ship when we finally got that through our our fixed skulls. Uh, we we were on the verge of closing up shop, and we finally I think did that, and and it's it's what's driven our decisions all day every day. We both have a lot of ideas, myself and and Ryan, my co-founder, and we always bring it back to is this going to distract us from the main mission that we're working on every single day right now? And that's that's the biggest piece that, that you can use as a gut check. And it's always the nice thing about having a co-founder too, right? There is somebody that keeps you accountable when you actually start to dream really big. And we have a dream big board and it sits there and, and there's stuff that we throw on it. And we've just recently actually pulled something off of it to explore. But again, it's never going to get into that product cycle until we feel like we've we've uh, we've really honed in on that one specific thing. So I'm going to ask you if you could share a specific instance where this advice of getting super getting the customer feedback, getting super focused on that singular thread was particularly particularly useful. Wow, that was hard for me to say today. In this journey, I would say er, early on when we were, when we were trying to do everything under the sun, right? What we would end up doing is we'd go out and give a demo of these platforms. We sit there. We did the, the very, yeah, the very uh, Y Combinator thing. We sit there. We talk to our customers and we would get through the demo of, of what was kind of the, the SaaS tools that we had built, the very rudimentary SaaS tools and people liked it, but then they want to know how Obi made money because we were going to give those tools away for free. We said, hey, we give you these tools because it gives us a lot of this data and then we can make it easier for you to get insurance. And what happened, Ted, is it's like there was a light bulb. And we had to see this probably 50, 60, 70 times to really understand it. But they completely forgot about the tools and all they wanted to do was sit there and talk about how much they hated their insurance process. And that was the thread, right? That was the thing we finally said, why are we making our life harder? Why are we making this more challenging than it needs to be? We're trying to build all these other things and build insurance at the same time. When we end every one of these meetings with, hey, can we just send you over your insurance and you guys should see what you can do with it, right? Nobody ever talked about the tools. They didn't want to throw their portfolio on there. They didn't like our, our, our quick and dirty underwriting calculator, right? Nobody's talking about that. They're like, hey, I got this spreadsheet. I got this folder. I don't know where anything's at. I just throw it all into this folder. Can I just zip it up and send it to you guys? And so eventually you're like, Ryan, what are we doing? Right? Like these people are telling us what they want, right? Like make what your customers want. They want everything under the sun and they had a bunch of other advice. But the only thing we ever left with from those meetings were folders and folders and zip files of insurance documents. The That's the key. Eventually you start to hear that exact same theme. And we said, what are we doing? Like we need to get focused on this one thing because this is what they're willing to buy. This is what they're willing to go over in a meeting to talk about and complain about. This is the thing that we can have a real impact on. And if we get customer engagement from that, then then the the you know the sky is kind of the limit at that point. It, so that's that's a really true example where we you know we we eventually very much had to pivot or or focus on the thing that we thought was actually going to drive actual value for the company. So today we've talked about enough things to fill many 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 sheets in a spreadsheet. But is there anything that I left out that you want to make sure that the audience hears and understands about you or Obi? 
what I would say is is uh, more advice for your your general entrepreneur. Somebody that's just getting started. Somebody that said, you know what, I, I love my job, but but I've had this kind of itch in the back of my my head for a while. Be a cockroach. Right? People talk about this a lot. If you have a if you have a good team and you have a product that you believe in and the the TAM in the market is big enough. If you can be a cockroach, you can survive, right? That's the whole piece with cockroaches. And there was a there was a venture investor who, you know, Ryan and I talked to when when Obi was on a napkin, and and we were excited about every feature under the sun. And you know, the guy never invested, but we always kept in touch with them. And probably a year or two in, he said, "Man, you guys are cockroaches. You guys just won't die, right?" And like he meant it as a compliment. But he was also the person that said candidly told us early on to do one thing and do it well. We never totally listened to him until eventually that we did. And so that's the advice. If you believe in it and you have the right team and you have the resources and the market is big enough, be a cockroach. Because if you can continue to survive in a big market, you can fail forward. You can be successful in continuing to, to, to not, you know, not be the, the, the type of company you want to be in, but it gives you the runway to continue to be able to figure it out. So be a cockroach. That is a new one for me. I I love it, by the way. And Aaron, thank you for sharing your insights, your experiences, your your overarching passion for this. It's been a pleasure having you on Fintech Confidential. Thanks, Ted. Likewise, this is so great. to our audience. Don't forget to subscribe, share, like, and follow. Don't and leave comments. Stay tuned for more insightful conversations from the leaders in the fintech world. And until next time, keep innovating. Support provided by Skyflow. What if you could build fast but not break privacy? What if you could ensure data privacy, governance, and compliance with just a few API calls? What if you could worry less about PCI requirements while actually improving privacy and security? How much more time would your team have to truly innovate? How much faster could you build and ship new features? How much more powerful could your app be? Skyflow is a zero trust data privacy vault delivered as an API. Skyflow's radically simple design lets you collect, secure, and tokenize personal information like card data and payment details. And with built-in features like encrypted data analysis and sharing, anonymization, and advanced governance, your days of choosing between data security and data usability are over. Whether you're just concerned with PCI compliance or need to go further to include CCPA, GDPR, SOC 2, and beyond, Skyflow has you covered. What if you could build fast but not break privacy? With Skyflow, you can. Visit skyflowsecure.com today to learn how. This has been a production of Diamond D3 Media with all rights reserved. This is provided for informational purposes only. It is not offered or intended to be used as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. We strive to provide accurate and up-to-date information, but will not be responsible for any missing facts or inaccurate information. You comply and understand that you should use any of this information at your own risk. Cryptocurrencies are highly volatile financial assets, so research and make your own financial decisions.